fighting for freedom every day. Broadcasting from the heartland of America. The next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a pre-Friday celebration, man. You're making it. You see the light at the end of the tunnel. We all do. Pat yourself on the back. You are almost there. Let's rock this thing for the next couple days. What do you say? This is the Voice of Reason. What's up? I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting out of the heart of the nation in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple stations, plus TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen. Your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. Man, I tell you what, I think I, I finally, I think I can have cell phone service. <laughs> Actually, I haven't been affected. I have Verizon and I have not had any issues today, but apparently people are losing their minds over the fact that they woke up this morning not having their cell phone service to get their latest updates when they first wake up, open their eyes and put that screen in front of their face. It has been kind of nice. I have to admit that I, so for Lent, I'm not Catholic, just just to throw it out there for everybody, but we do like to do something as, you know, a bit of a sacrifice, give up something, make ourselves healthier. Just word of notice, I am on day number three of my fasting right now, so I have not eaten anything in three straight days. My goal is to go for six just because it's a nice reset. I try to do this about once or twice a year just to kind of hit the reset button, kind of flush everything out and start all over and be healthy. I've gone through about five glasses of lemon water lemon infused water today which is fantastic so that helps the grumbly tummy a little bit so if i'm a little bit hangry on the program that would explain why but i'm in day number three of my six day fasting uh so i can eat again on monday next week and i'm deciding on what i'm going to gorge myself with i'm kidding i'm not going to gorge myself but i am going to incrementally work myself back up by then my stomach's nice and small so i don't have to eat a whole lot but nonetheless uh, some of the other stuff we like to do during lent is the family time is when we go home at night and when we start off the morning, no screen time. We turn off the cell phones, obviously, unless there's a, like a work emergency or something, but we turn off the cell phone. We don't watch any TV. Little Voice Reason doesn't watch any screen time with her tablet, uh, watching YouTube or playing video games. We don't do that. Now, on the weekends, if she does well in her tests on her weekly scores and weekly tests and stuff, we'll let her play a little bit of video games because that's her incentive. So she keeps that. But at nighttime, we don't turn on the TV to go to bed. We don't we don't do anything. We turn off that stuff. We have the dinner with the family around the dinner table. We talk about our day and then we go to bed in the healthy manner that is turning off all electronics and actually going to bed in the dark. I love it. I would love to honestly do that all year round because I know it's super healthy for you. But you get in those modes where you're just like, I want to zone out for a little bit. And it's very difficult to keep that up. But we do it during the Lent time. And it's been wonderful so far. So I didn't even know there was a cell phone outage until... Uh, I was on the way down and was seeing some of the headlines and things that were going on. But AT&T getting hit the biggest. Obviously, AT&T today standing for ain't getting no texts or talking today. But apparently, I saw a headline that they are officially back up and running. It is coincidence, however, or is it in our weird news, I guess, of the day or our what's trending? We'll, we'll stick with that, I guess. What's trending today? That the cell phone outage happened the same day where some of the pharmaceutical companies and pharmaceutical businesses, including the nation's largest technology company in the nation in the healthcare industry known as Change Healthcare, 
ended up seeing a major cyber attack as well. As according to the theexpress.com, it comes at the time where major cell phone outages happened and affected millions of customers across the nation, crippling 9-11 services, leaving customers without reception. And now we see the issue with change healthcare in no doubt and problem facing the systems that they say have been caused by cyber attacks. In a statement from the company, they say, quote, Change Healthcare is experiencing a network interruption related to a cybersecurity issue, and our experts are working to address the matter. Once we become aware of the outside threat in the interest of protecting our partners and patients, we took immediate action to disconnect our systems to prevent further impact. Scary stuff. I know that this is an ongoing threat, not only with our cell phones, with our healthcare. But with our infrastructure, according to Senator Marco Rubio, made a statement earlier today as well, saying that this is only the beginning as we're concerned about cyber attacks coming from the nation of China, if we want to put it in the Donald Trump terms. And if they do attack, it could be larger than just cell phone outages. Again, I I did see on social media this morning, it was a range of people from friends I have in Ohio, out to Colorado, down to Texas, out in California, where uh, people were commenting all over first thing this morning, I don't have any cell service. What's the, What the heck's going on? And luckily, again, I wasn't affected by it, but I saw the comments. But just imagine if you would. Maybe this is the reminder that we need of if this, God forbid, happens, then what are you going to do? Are you prepared for something? Not to put the doom and gloom or the paranoia in there, but, you know, we are a little bit of the preppers, just in the sense that we want to be prepared for whatever may come. And whether it's a tornado going into spring season that could knock out your power, whether it is a snowstorm that happened during the winter time with the extreme cold and the, some of the heavier snow that we had seen over compared to the last few uh, years across the Mid-America region or wherever you may be, and you get snowed in. Heck, there are stories in Kansas here where there were people out in the rural community said that they didn't see a snowplow for like six days and their power was out. They had no way of getting out. They had no power. They had to deal with whatever they could and just handle it for days on end before they actually had a snowplow come out to their area. It happens. It happens. Now imagine we take it to the next level. We see a cyber attack that takes out your pharmaceuticals. You can no longer go to the pharmaceutical, uh, the pharmacy and actually get your pills. How many do you have in store for you? Let's say that they knock out the power and the water. Do you have water until we can get things back up and going? The electricity during the extreme heat of the summer or the extreme cold during the winter, are you prepared for those things. All things to take into consideration, not to scare you at all, but uh, it is getting real. And with more and more technology being the focus of our life, then these things are becoming a reality that we need to be at least aware of in some way, shape, or form. I don't want to focus a whole lot of time on that. I'm glad these cell phone services are coming back and uh, coming online again. And it should be a reminder for us that all of this stuff, all of this that we have, these quote-unquote safety net programs, these safety net government programs, these safety net technology things, the things we take for granted each and every day, they can go just like that. And are you ready? I, again, I told you, <laughs> I'm ready. I could just disappear into the woods and you'll never see me again. I'm totally happy with that. I could live in a little hut that I build with some trees and logs and just build an underground thing in the dirt, and I would be completely happy living off the land and you'll never hear or see from me again. But I guess I have to wait a little bit longer until that zombie apocalypse actually happens. All right, speaking of, let's get into what's trending today. The other big stories of the day. While we try to not be so dependent on big government programs, we see the Biden administration desperate to do what they can to boost up their popularity a little bit on the campaign trail as we look at the elections of 2024. And right now, Joe Biden's on the campaign trail with a new campaign that he's calling the Investing in America Tour. 
talking about his investments, trying to rebrand the Bidenomics tour that he did just a while ago that failed miserably. Because while he says, oh, look, prices are going down and inflation still relatively the same, it's not helping when we look at the grocery store and still see prices three times the price they were just three years ago. So his new tour is still trying to rebrand Bidenomics, but doing it in the sense of, quote, investing in America. All the investments that he's done across the nation to better this nation, a.k.a. government spending that's led to the inflation that we see today. But they don't see it that way. They just see it as the investments in America. And he's talking about his global warming and climate change initiatives. We're saying some, I mean, for example, we see what Colorado just yesterday passed their initiative to try and ban gas-powered mowers on public property. Kansas apparently doing the same thing. Washington, the state of Washington, where we broadcast right now as well, uh, doing the same thing. So right now, this big push, all coming from investments, I say that in air quotes for our radio listeners, investments from the Biden administration to battle climate change. People don't care, but that's what he's campaigning on, saying, look at all the investments that I've done. The latest investment coming today as well, Showing that there's another step in the student loan forgiveness program. Is that going to work? Oh, all right. But that's the next step. The next leading charge right now is the student loan forgiveness program. As according to the New York Times, they say that Biden's chipping away at student loans across the nation by now setting and canceling near $1.2 billion in student loan debt, bringing the total amount that he's wiped out so far to $138 billion for more than 3.9 million borrowers across the nation. They say a far cry from what he initially said he wanted to do by canceling more than $400 billion, which again, we're sitting at right now 3.9, or I'm sorry, $138 billion. They wanted to be $400 billion for more than 43 million borrowers in the nation. It's the next step in the SAVE plan, if you remember that when the Supreme Court looked at the massive bailout, they said, yeah, no, unconstitutional, you can't do this even now that the COVID-19 pandemic's done. You can't use that emergency authorization to bail out $400 billion worth of student loans. So he's doing it in in steps by the SAVE plan. And if you don't remember what the SAVE plan is, it is now a plan that you can set up if you have government-funded public student loans, not private loans, but public student loans, you can get on the plan. They can set up the repayment options based on your income, based on the family size, based on your debts, and so on and so forth. And if you are a good a good individual who ends up paying every single month for the next 10 years or has a 10-year record of paying, then all of a sudden, poof, it'll go away. And the latest step allows anybody who's made payments for the last 10 years incrementally and took out the initial loan of less than $12,000 to, again, poof, how the student loan go away. And the argument, of course, is they say that because uh, student loans bury down the young generation where they can't buy a home, they can't have a family, they can't raise a family, they can't buy a car, they don't have expendable cash, they can't invest their money in the economy, that, of course, this is a proper way for them to do so by just making that debt, poof, disappear. Now, outside of the obvious conversation of the obligation of you took out a loan, you need to pay it back, The numbers really don't show that this is going to be healthy for the economy because we're not teaching anybody about proper spending habits. They signed up for a loan, meaning that they're not the smartest individuals of planning their future unless they had a plan in order to pay that back. And when I degrade in this manner, I would like to include myself in this as well with an individual who's paying 
over $50,000 right now in student loan debt that's not being written off because the vast majority of mine is private student loans. So even if Joe Biden does any of this, I still have to pay back my private student loans that are $42,000 of that $50,000. And those private loans sitting at like a 9% interest rate, which is absolutely stupid. And shame on you for trying to take advantage of poor little old me with such a high interest rate in the private sector. Nonetheless, I digress. I could try to wipe out, I guess I could try to sign up for the safe plan and wipe out my $9,000, that's the government uh, plan, but uh, if I did that, then what kind of principle would I actually have with myself? Because I signed up for the loans, therefore I need to pay them back. And right now, while I don't have a whole lot of expendable cash personally, I'm paying them back to where I can. And I do have a home, and I do take care of my family, and that's the way things are supposed to be. And that's the way that the goal is at the end of the day. But this whole removal of doesn't do anything than subsidize the student loans, obviously, to where you and I have to pay it through our uh, taxpayer money. So now I'm not only am I paying my student loans, I get to pay for your student loans as well. So you're welcome, jerks who are trying to actually get this wiped off because they feel like they don't have to pay for it. I saw uh, a comment from somebody on social media today that, that had made a comment of, well, look at all those Republicans who took out the PPP loans during the COVID-19 pandemic, which I don't know how you compare those two, when that was with the understanding that as long as you use it for certain things, that it would be forgiven. So that was already written in the contract. What we have here are students who just take it out thinking they can pay it back or don't care whether they pay it back or not, thinking that that's just going to be a normal lifestyle now with having a student loan payment every single month and then just having it magically be disappear and them happy about that too so they can spend the money elsewhere. The problem is that if we don't have the proper spending habits or understand finances in the first place, does this really solve the issue? Because what other debt will they accrue on a monthly basis that will compensate for that, that will keep them down because they didn't learn their lesson from the first time? But we don't go down that road, do we? Because we don't want to look at the individual responsibility when it comes to your personal finances. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. I want to go a little bit deeper in the student loan forgiveness thing than just the finances. Obviously, for us on the conservative side, it makes sense. You signed the contract. You said that you would pay this back with the interest. You're going to do so. Why would we just remove that and just make it poof, go away? Just because it's not good for the economy, you need to pay that back. In fact, it is good for the economy because while you may have more expendable cash your value of your dollar doesn't go as far because of the inflation that's being caused by the devaluing of the dollar by just removing debt and making it poof try to go away so that doesn't work i'm sorry you can use all the numbers you want to to say how it's going to help the economy by having more expendable cash but your cash will be worthless when we continue to rack up the debt at the nationwide level and let people get off scot-free without paying things back the way that they're supposed to outside of that financial argument though i want to go a little bit deeper though by removing student loan debts And again, just get away from all of the money for just a moment. Just the principle of the issue, the psychological issue for just a moment. Removing student loan debt and just making it disappear and forgiving it, doesn't that mean that the degree that you worked so hard for, that you went for the two year, the three year, the four years of schooling, the six years, the 10 years of schooling, whatever you did, God bless you if you stayed in college that long. Good golly, I couldn't make it two years. And I'm like, I'm out. I'm going to go talk on the radio now. 
<laughs> I couldn't go very far. But doesn't that water down and degrade the value of the degree that you just got if it were free? Again, free, first off, there is no such thing as free, but you get what you pay for. You get the quality of what you pay for. If you always want something free, it's probably not going to be the highest quality. And that's for really any genre, any industry, fill in the blank. If you want something for free, you're probably going to get a crappy quality. If you actually pay for quality, you're going to get the quality. They always talk about in business kind of the pyramid on what you, you can have two of the three. You can have customer service, you can have quality, or you can have good prices. And you can get two of the three, but you can never have all three, or you can try and find that happy medium between them. Not that I'm an expert in business, but that's just from what I've heard from my business uh, graduates from college. But nonetheless, doesn't it water down the value of the degree that you're actually getting? And what I mean by that is, according to the Wall Street Journal, they say in the latest study that more than half of college graduates in the nation are working jobs that they didn't even use their degree for. In other words, they're working jobs in a different industry than what they got their degree in. Why? Probably because there are so many degrees out there now that are useless that they get the degree in underwater basket weaving, and then they can't find a job on where they can be a specialist in underwater basket weaving, so they have to go take a job in a factory, or they have to take a job as a truck driver, or a paper pusher sitting in a cubicle in an office somewhere, or an insurance salesman. Not, they're not bad jobs. I'm not degrading in them at all, but they're not in the degree that you actually got your degree in, in the area, in that field. So now we're wasting money, we're wasting public resources by going to college, getting a degree in something, not even using the degree, and then wiping out the student loans as if it never happened. We just use government resources, public resources, that cost money, and now we're not even doing anything with it. What does that mean for society? Doesn't that mean that we should kind of reevaluate things a little bit, and instead of actually getting rid of student loans and just wiping them off and forgiving them, maybe we should make it affordable by actually making college affordable by getting rid of some of the departments and some of the resources that the college needs that aren't actually needed right now by students. And we could think of a few of them, couldn't we? Instead of investing more money into colleges with a tenured professor where they have to buy a brand new $300 book every single semester because, well, let's change a line in it so you can't hand it off to somebody else. So you have to buy the new one so that way the professor gets all the royalties from that every time that they have a new class. Yeah, maybe we should get rid of that type of process. Maybe we should get rid of degrees that don't do anything or we recognize that they're not going to be any, uh, they're not going to go anywhere and they're more of a pet project or an interest that we have to where it's more affordable to go. Maybe we should get rid of the first two years of college where you repeat everything you did through the K-12 through education system and you actually do something substantial where it doesn't cost as much for the entire four-year cycle to go through, graduate, and get the job in the career that you want to. There are a lot of reforms that we could do right now other than just saying, poof, your student loan went away. Hey, next generation, it's going to be free for you to do the same stuff that's not going to help you in life. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. 35 minutes past. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. So wonderful to have you with us. While we try to give money away to others, the ongoing hate against the evil rich people in the nation. Now, rich is a relative term. 
to the Democrats. I mean, they can never decide on what the number is. Before it was like a million, before it was like a half million, then Barack Obama said it was like $250,000. Whatever that number is now that they consider to be evil rich. And then, of course, Bernie Sanders talks about the millionaires and billionaires. While he's himself one of those that has multiple different vacation homes. But I digress. Doesn't really matter. They continue to say that the rich people are not paying their fair share. Now, if you remember, there was a proposed piece of legislation that that Joe Biden was pushing for early on in his administration that wanted to essentially have the IRS track every transaction above $600 in or out of your bank accounts, both business and personal, because they're adamant that there are people that are not actually paying their fair share or not filing on taxes on every piece of transaction that's happening through their accounts. As in, like, even they want to know when you pay your mortgage, they want to pay your car payment, they want to know when you pay this, when you pay that. But they want to make sure that you're everything that you do that you're actually paying taxes on. Because now, according to CNBC, that they say there's a new uh, IRS chief in town and they're looking to look at tax evaders and the tax evasion by millionaires and billionaires. Seems like familiar wording from Bernie Sanders. Tops more than $150 billion, with a B, $150 billion a year. <laughs> yeah. They say tax evaders are skipping out on paying $150 billion a year from all the millionaires and billionaires. Now, I would say, number one, first, that uh, I don't know how you can evade paying taxes if it's not your money in the first place. Like, the government, the IRS literally thinks they just own it. So we own this money, and then when we give you a tax refund, that's just us giving a gift back to you. Oh, I guess you paid a little bit too much. You can have it back. But this is their way of saying, no, no, the millionaires and billionaires are finding uh, little loopholes in the system to not have to pay the money that they actually deserve. So to talk about some of that and more. What's trending today? Excited to have on the program with us here. It's been a little bit since we've had him on the show. He is the president of American Commitment. Happy to have on here Mr. Phil Kirpin. Phil, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you? We are living the dream. A lot of economic stuff to talk about, but there are two big stories that I find interesting today. First, this one, this tax evasion of $150 billion from the millionaires and billionaires. How dare them try and not pay taxes on certain aspects. The second one, the student loan forgiveness and the next step in that from the Biden administration, desperate to win over the young generation for the next election. But let's focus on the first one. Are we really seeing that much money not being paid through the IRS from the evil rich people in the country? Uh, I've got an awful lot of doubts. Uh, you know, we always see these reports about how supposedly there's this huge tax gap and the rich are cheating on their taxes left and right. And if we just give the IRS more money, it'll be like, you know, uh, you know, we'll get it back times 10 or whatever it is. And of course, you know, Biden, based on this theory, gave the IRS an $80 billion plus up over their usual budget, which will more than double the size of the agency. And he claimed that, uh, you know, they'll raise something like $200 billion. So it'll more than pay for itself twice over. And I don't think it's going to happen. And I'll tell you why, Andy, because the people who are rich and companies and people who take aggressive interpretations to minimize their taxes, um, they don't just make things up. They don't just lie. They hire very good lawyers and very good accountants to figure out ways within the law to avoid paying taxes. And when the IRS says, you're wrong, you owe more, the IRS lawyers are usually not as good as the rich people's lawyers, and the IRS usually loses. Yeah. And so I think that what's going to happen is they're going to have a bunch of high-profile attempts to go after rich people, which they will lose in tax court uh, because rich people can defend what they claim on their taxes. And
harass an awful lot of not rich people with a bunch of letters that say, you know, pay us another thousand bucks or we're going to audit you or whatever. And most people are just going to pay it because it's not worth the headache of fighting it for a normal person who doesn't have a bunch of lawyers and accountants. And so I think they are going to raise a bunch of money with this doubling of the size of the IRS, but it's not going to be from rich people. It's going to be from normal people who are now assessed kind of this nuisance tax of the IRS asserting that you owe money that's not a big enough amount to really be worth fighting and people are just going to pay it. So that's my, maybe I'm cynical. That's what I think. Well, it makes sense. Yeah, the squeeze on the middle class. They always say they want to give the middle class a break and they always end up squeezing us more because you're right. I mean, you would think that it reminds me of when Donald Trump was running for president the first time. They asked him about all the tax breaks he was getting and not paying certain amounts of taxes. And he said, yeah, it's called being a smart business guy by trying to find ways to not have to pay the government additional money just for the sake of paying them additional money. That's what a smart business individual does. So, yeah, these millionaires and billionaires, yeah, they're paying massive amounts of money already. The government wants more of it, and they're trying to find ways to not have to pay every nickel and dime that the government wants them to do. That's just common sense, I would think, isn't it? Well, it's not just common sense. It's also, I mean... If you're rich, you're not going to cheat on your taxes. <laughs> Why you're would you need the to? Best guy to find out how to legally minimize your taxes, and your guy's probably going to be smarter than the IRS's guy. Yeah, I mean, right? It, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It, it drives me wild. At the same time, we're seeing the pressure on everybody because of the subsidizing that we're doing from the Department of Education. These uh, massive amounts of money now. What is it? What did they say? A hundred and some odd million dollar, one point two billion dollars in student loan debt relief that the Biden administration has announced now with expanding their save plan by allowing more people to be able to have their forgiveness on their student loans. Is this really going to win over anybody new on the Democrat side to vote in the election? And what's this going to do to the economy, Phil? Well, I think that, you know, this is a drop in the bucket. I think total they're up to, you know, almost, uh, Almost 150 billion, and I think you know they're they're going to they're going to keep going. And yeah. you know it's important for people to remember the history of this. Uh, you know, until Obamacare passed, uh, student lending was done through private banks, and they they were subsidized. The government would sort of backstop and subsidize the loans, but it was a there were private loans you owed it to a private bank, and it was kind of a, a market transaction. And what they said uh, it was actually the sidecar bill to Obamacare. Remember, they did the two bill thing where they did the one bill that had already passed before Scott Brown's election that they had already with the 60, and then they kind of did the sidecar bill as reconciliation. And that was actually called the Healthcare and Education Reconciliation Act. And the education part of that was that they nationalized student lending. And when they did it, they nationalized student lending. They said, oh, the banks are making money on student loans. If we nationalize it, then the Treasury will make that money, and we can use it as a pay-for. We can use it to help pay for Obamacare. And a lot of us kind of scratched our chins and said, uh, yeah, I don't think the government's going to make any money uh, administering student loan programs. I think this is a recipe for disaster. And, of course, I think it was just two years after they passed it, the, the official scorekeeper said, oh, actually, we're not going to make money on this. We're going to lose money on this. And nice. the amount that we're going to lose has gone up pretty dramatically since then, of course, because back then it was just we were going to lose money because they're incompetent and they can't manage the loan portfolio and whatever. Now – We've got an administration that actively wants taxpayers to lose money on these loans, that thinks the way they're going to get reelected is sending out as many letters as possible to people saying, hey, you don't have to pay your loan, vote Biden, which is basically what these letters say. And what that means for everyone else, people who didn't go to college, people who paid their own way, whatever it might be, is they're now paying 
for someone else's college, <laughs> uh, which is pretty outrageous, uh, both morally and, and legally and economically, any way you want to look at it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's astonishingly cynical that the president keeps doing this, and he bragged about doing it. He's like, yeah, the Supreme Court said I couldn't, but I did it anyway. He just said this yesterday, like, like this is a good thing. Yeah. We have a president who's just spending money willy-nilly, uh, you know, without authorization from Congress, and even after the courts told him to stop. And it's obvious he's doing it to try to buy votes. And, of course, you know, the challenge for Republican candidates, and in particular for President Trump, is to explain to people, you know, forgiveness doesn't mean that a loan disappears. Poof, it, it doesn't exist. Forgiveness means that now everyone's paying for it because uh, the government already paid that money. When the loan was issued, that money was paid to a college. They're not getting the money back from the college. So if the loan is not repaid, then we all paid for it. We all paid for it, and we're all taking a loss on it. And, of course, all the money that the government loses either has to be made up for in tax hikes uh, or through printing money, which we all pay for in inflation. So one way or the other, we're all going to pay for it. Yeah. And that's the opportunity, I think. You know, look, the people who got a letter saying, hey, I paid off your student loans, vote Biden, They'll probably vote Biden. But there are an awful lot more people who didn't get that letter who are the ones who are paying for it. And so I think the challenge for Republicans is to connect those dots. I really think so. Yeah, we're talking with Phil Kirpin with American Commitment, AmericanCommitment.com. Let's let's talk about you threw a lot out there, and I want to break some of this down. First off, how was the Biden administration able to create this quote-unquote safe plan? Because you're right, after the Supreme Court came back, they tried to use it under the COVID-19 declaration of emergency, and they're like, yeah, it's the, the emergency's done. You guys can't do this. This doesn't have anything to do with the COVID-19 pandemic or the emergency. So no, you can't do this. Then shortly after they said, well, okay, we'll just do it by the safe plan and we'll forgive it if you sign up for this this program. You do it for the income-driven based uh, payment plans. And then after 10 years, or if you have a 10-year payment history, then we'll just start forgiving these things little by little. Legally, how are they able to spend close to $400 billion, which is what they want to do without congressional approval? This doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I... I hope it'll get litigated and uh, they'll be stopped uh, you know, on these various other attempts uh, as they were on kind of the big one when they tried to do it all at once. But um, you know how many laws there are in the books and how complicated they are. And, you know, you know, you've got lawyers in these agencies that can piece together a theory where this, that and the other thing and try to create a new program out of uh, thin air. And uh, sometimes they get away with it. And one of the things that's really going to be interesting to watch in this current Supreme Court term is they, they heard a case. Um, it was actually related to fishing boat monitors, uh, where the Fish and Wildlife Service, actually under the Obama administration, tried to say, um, if you're a herring boat, you've got to hire monitors on your own dime to monitor that you're not overfishing. And uh, the cost of that is something like 20% of the profits of, of these boats for the whole year they're spending on these monitors who were like, you know, not they had like a one-day training course. They were like getting seasick and throwing up. They had no business being on the boat. They didn't know anything about anything, and it was they were paying seven hundred bucks a day to them. Yeah. Um, the Supreme I, Court may say you can't do that kind of stuff anymore. You have to actually follow the laws as written. So that could have implications much more broadly. Yeah. Uh, what a concept, Phil. Hold. Yeah. Hold that thought. We got to take a hard break here. I want to continue this when we come back because, uh, yeah, we have a long ways to go to try and bring some exposure to this. This is madness right now in the country. Stay this here. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. we got a couple minutes left here on a pre-Friday celebration. It's time for you to carpe diem all over this place, baby. It's what we do each and every day. We're talking about the student loan forgiveness programs, the economy, the way things are going right now with Phil Kirpin, American Commitment, AmericanCommitment.com. You can go see all the great information they have battling it out in Washington, D.C., Phil, I got it. It's on a more psychological, non, um, I guess, financial standpoint of the student loan forgiveness program. I, it doesn't it really just I mean, it bugs the hell out of me. I'm battling trying to pay off my fifty thousand dollars of student loans right now. It was it up at eighty eight thousand at some point down to fifty thousand. I know probably chose the wrong career to get into radio and try and pay off a massive amount of student loans. But here we are. But nonetheless, outside of that, if you just wash it away. Doesn't it degrade the value of the degrees that you're actually working towards to get? I mean, if everything's free with the degree that you're working for, then what's the point of getting the degree when right now we just see Wall Street Journal says that half of the students that actually come out of college aren't even working in the fields that they got their degree in? So what's the point of even doing all this anymore? Well, um, you know, obviously there are exceptions, but it is still generally the case that uh, on average people with degrees do have higher incomes, which is part of what uh, is so unfair about what Biden's doing, right? Uh, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's not like your degrees are useless and have no value just because someone else is paying for them. Uh, they still have the value they have, but now instead of you being the one who paid for them, you're forcing people who maybe didn't even have the opportunity to go to college to pick up that cost by transferring it to taxpayers generally or, you know, more likely into money printing into inflation uh, that affects everyone. And so uh, I don't think it makes the degrees any more or less valuable than they otherwise were, except maybe in some sort of philosophical sense. Uh, but it does definitely kind of change uh, who, who pays for it in a way that, that's particularly unfair. And of course, you know, the other aspect of this is, um, you know, college is so expensive because we subsidize it have, uh, heavily, which yeah. is to say, when you start offering huge amounts of of student aid and student loans and grants and all the rest of it, the college administrators jack up tuition to capture whatever money's available. And we've seen that uh, pretty dramatically over the last 50 years. Every time there's more subsidy available, they, the tuitions jump and uh, the universities capture as much of that money as they possibly can. And so if we start sending out this, if we start setting this precedent that, well, you know, people are going to take out huge loans, but they're not going to have to pay them. They're going to be dumped on taxpayers. I mean, I don't even want to think about how high tuitions are going to go <laughs> because they're going to, you know, they, they, the sky's the limit if the customers aren't actually the ones who pay. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, you, you can imagine how bad it can get. And so I, I really think um, we ought to be going in the other, opposite direction. We ought to uh, reprivatize student lending, move it out of the government into private lenders. And I really like uh, the idea that, um, I hate to say this because I hate the guy, but uh, actually Dick Durbin has a bill that's pretty smart uh, with John Cornyn that would allow student loans to be discharged in bankruptcies after a 10-year waiting period. So you couldn't just go to college and then file bankruptcy and and get rid of it. But after a 10-year waiting period, student loans would become dischargeable in bankruptcy uh, under some circumstances. And universities, colleges, schools would be on the hook for a percentage of the loans that are discharged in bankruptcy. So they would have an incentive, and I actually think the percentage in that bill is not enough. I would make it more, but uh, I like the principle, the idea that uh, schools will be on the hook if somebody kind of fails economically and they're not able to uh, you know, make good 
uh, on their student loans, and then they'll have an incentive to actually have degree programs that will, in fact, place people into careers where they're going to be able to pay them back and not just to milk as much money as possible. And so I think there are reforms that we can be for, but we got to get this out of the government sector, and we've got to get the incentives fixed, um, it, it, particularly on the university side. So they just don't have an incentive to raise tuition as much as possible, which is the way it's been now for the last 50 years or so. And, um, you know, it, we, we don't need to just be uh, against everything. We can be forced, but it's got to be it's got to be directionally right. Uh, it can't just be throwing more money at a, at a problem which doesn't actually make it better. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I think that would be a great uh, change for it. And we do have a lot of work to do. Like you said, privatizing things, getting the government off of off the hook here. It sounds like they're trying to go down the road. Andy, of, one of the things, one yeah, of real the quick, things. you got about 30 seconds. I wouldn't just privatize the new loans going forward. I would actually auction off all of the existing loans in the yeah. federal loan portfolio because the, the, the longer they're held by government, the more of them are just going to be dumped on taxpayers. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, we've gone down the road of, like, health care. We've gone down the road of, like, health care of, like, oh, we're going to lower the price of, you know, insulin shots. But yet we're not lowering the price of it. We're just subsidizing it. The government's still paying the pharmaceutical industry. Pharmaceutical companies still making a buttload of money on it. And we're just doing it through our taxpayer money. The, they're trying to do university the same way. And it's got to stop. we got to go, like you said, the opposite direction. It's Phil Kerp at American Commitment, AmericanCommitment.com. Phil, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. Got to do it again real soon. Have a good one. Hey, always a pleasure there. All right, back at it again tomorrow for a Friday. Until then, this is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.